Blog Talk Radio. Stevie B's Media Production is a part of the Shellcaster Network. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by members of the Churches of Christ. With your host, Stevie R. Butler. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Good evening. Thank you for tuning in to the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm your host this evening, Stevie R. Butler from the great state of North Carolina. With my co-host, Tim Bench from the state of Texas. Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas. Courtney Carruthers from the state of Illinois. Steve Cordell from the state of Illinois. Dr. Frank Washington from the state of Florida. Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia. Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey, and Robert Lee Johnson from the state of Florida. Ladies and, gen- ladies and gentlemen, we're just grateful for that you are tuning into our radio broadcast this evening. This radio show is brought to you by loving and faithful members of the Churches of Christ. We ask you to take out your Bibles and study along with us. We have a very exciting show planned for your spiritual enlightenment and your edification. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, just give me a call to the live show at 713-955-0508. If you have any questions or comments for any of my co-hosts on this broadcast, you can send your emails to my, my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com, or you can give me a call at Steve B's Media Production at the Carolina Studio at 910-491-6405. Now, again, this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ. And if you need any assistance in locating a congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now, folks, get out your Bibles and stay along with us here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Before we go into our program for this evening, I would ask that you would bow with me in a word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Our most kind, gracious, loving, heavenly Father, the Father, our Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day and placing it on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we are prepared now to present a portion of your holy and divine word. Father, we pray that you will be my co-host, Steve Cordo and Brian Christian Coleman on the show this evening as they break unto our listeners the bread of life. Also, we ask your blessings upon my co-host Clay Phillips as he answers the questions that are on the hearts of so many. We just pray that you will bless their families, 
that support their efforts that they may continue to sow the seed of the kingdom. While we pray that you would bless our listeners this evening who are tuning in via blog talk radio as well as through social media. We pray that they may listen well and that their hearts may be pricked as they consider their eternal stance before you and their soul salvation. And it will cause them to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Father, we thank you so much for sending the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, to die such a cruel death on Calvary's cross. We recognize that without such a sacrifice, we would not have a hope of eternal life. Father, even now, we ask you to forgive us for the transgressions of our own heart. We know our flesh is weak. And we often fall short of thy will. For we pray that you'll continue to bless us and keep us and love us all the days of our lives. And that we have been faithful unto death. For we pray that you will save us. For it's in Christ's name we do ask it all. Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into the broadcast. Our speakers for this evening in the first segment, my co-host Steve Corder, he serves as the evangelist with the East Park Church of Christ there in Danville, Illinois. He'll be making his proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And in the second segment, I have a question from my shout out platform on social media, Facebook. I'll be posing to my co-host Clay Phillips. He serves as the evangelist with the Rose City. Church of Christ there in Thomasville, Georgia. He'll be answering our question. And then to close out the show, my co-host, Brian Christian Coleman. He serves with the Newark Church of Christ there in Newark, New Jersey. He'll be making his proclamation of the gospel of Christ to close out the show. So open up your Bibles and open your minds and let's have a great show. After the break, the next voice should be that of my co-host, Steve Cordo. Enjoy the show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Bye. 
listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now my co-host Steve Cotto and his subject, Be Strong and of Good Courage. And good evening, Stevie. Good evening, everyone. Uh, If you're on Facebook or out there on Blog Talk Radio, this evening I want to look at a lesson that I really hope will boost everybody's confidence. There's a lot going on in the world, in case you haven't noticed. Uh, there's a lot of things happening really to be afraid of. But here's the thing. We don't have to be afraid. Or if we do feel the fear, we don't have to let it debilitate us. In Numbers chapter 13 and 14, if you look at those two chapters, there's a complete uh, collapse of courage there as Israel is uh, coming into the promised land. And when you look at those two chapters, You can also see the collapse, or rather the consequences, when confidence collapses. Uh, Also notable out of that is the two individuals who were able to go into the promised land, Caleb and Joshua. Even Moses didn't get to go in. But now we're looking at the book of Joshua, uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, and to be strong and of good courage. And some of you may remember, if you're old enough, in 1995, the writer truck that blew up outside the federal building, the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City, uh, killing 168 people. I was in my first church in California when that happened, and of course we glued ourselves to the set, uh, the TV set, to see what was uh, happening. And the courage that was shown by the first responders there as they run towards sounds like that, uh, explosions and shootings while the rest of us are running away, that's courage. Now they're feeling fear. But they're programmed to do this. Now, there's other kinds of fear that we might feel, oh, and there's courage that we have to deal with. Uh, Jack Phillips is one of them of Masterpiece Bakery out in Colorado, who has uh, got several uh, different organizations after him because he's taking a stand for his Christian beliefs. Uh, and there's a, more to that story. A lot of it's getting misreported in the media. Uh, and then also, if you're a parent, you know you can't be a coward. You cannot. 
uh, uh, shrink back from your responsibilities. It takes courage to be a parent, uh, especially if you want to be a good parent. So today in Joshua chapter 1, being strong and of good courage, I want us to, to look at this, and I want us to think of the uh, encouragement we can get from this as they're going into the promised land, where uh, he says, be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and of very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, if I counted right, there's about four times in there. He says to be strong and of good courage, or, or words to that effect. What is courage? Well, courage, it's not being completely fearless. I think that's a misnomer we get where we think to be, to be courage, you've got to feel no fear. Well, courage is a willingness to walk in a correct path, even if it gets hard. Uh, years ago, I saw an interview uh, with some paratroopers who went into uh, Normandy with the 82nd and 101st Airborne. They define courage as you feel the fear, but you go anyway. And that's what uh, God wants us to do. We're going to feel the fear. We're going to be afraid, but go. Courage is doing what you know is right when it needs to be done, even if it is difficult. A lot of times doing the right thing in a given situation is not going to be easy for us. And in these verses, Joshua, or rather God himself is letting Joshua know that he, has, that he is chosen. Joshua is chosen to be the new leader for the people of Israel. And now they're going into the promised land, and they're going to need to be courageous because they're, they're going to have a, uh, some battles on their hands as they try uh, to settle there in the promised land. Remember, Joshua's appointment is not just out of the blue. He has been prepared. Leaders are, are, are made. They're not born. You don't see a baby uh, in the nursery who gets up and starts leading all the other babies. I mean, some people might have some talent for it, but they're going to need to be made. They're going to need to be trained. They're going to need to be brought up. And Joshua, this is his moment. He was brought up. He was trained for this. And now he is taking the, uh, the helm from Moses. Joshua is chosen to lead the Israelites uh, into their first battle after Israel leaves Egypt. He's going into this. He's going to be both a, a combination of a, of a political leader and a military leader. And remember, he was also one of the spies chosen to go in and spy out the land. There were 12 of them, one from each tribe. They got in there. Ten of them, uh, when they got back, ten of them said, oh, we can't do this. We can't go into the land. But Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit. They said, oh, yes, we can. They all 12 saw the same things, but notice the difference in interpretation of, the, uh, of what they saw and interpretation of the facts that they saw that uh, they brought back to the people. They were looking at it from completely different angles, but because of the lack of faith in those other 10, God declared that all of those who left Egypt, only Joshua and Caleb get to go into the promised land. Just those two is going to be a Moses got to see it, but Moses did not get to go in to the promised land. So we don't know why Joshua was chosen over Caleb to be the leader. And really, for our purposes, that's not important. We just need to know that they uh, were there. We have to realize, though, the strength and the courage 
that both men were going to need. We have to realize that today in, in our world, we all need strength and encouragement at one time or another. And as God's children, we all live lives where courage is not optional. It is essential. Again, going back to being a parent with things that are going on in the school system, with things that are just going on in society, we got to have courage as we're raising our children up. Now, do you think Joshua felt uh, maybe sometimes wondered, well, okay, how did I get into this? Why am I the one who's picked? Could it have been that he needed strength sometimes and insur- assurance to stand? I think sometimes he did. But God gave it to him. God was there for him. So then how do we grow in courage? Because we're always going to need to be growing. Even people we normally consider strong will need popping uh, or propping up once in a while. We remember that song, as those of us who can remember it from years ago, that he ain't heavy, he's my brother. We all at times need to be propped up. We all at times need to be helped. And look at how God exhorts Joshua to courage. Each time he, he's giving us a clue as to how courage can grow within us and how it can, uh, it can uh, help us out. Courage grows as we do the things which require courage. I forget who said it, but uh, someone once said that uh, do that which you fear and the fear will die. Joshua had to step up here. Joshua had to uh, go out there and lead those troops into battle where that fear never would have gone away if we give in to it. God says that he loves us, and as we let him love through us, we can grow in courage uh, to love ourselves. We can be uh, that strong, uh, have the strength that we need to. God says that he cares for us, and remember, God is bigger than any problem that we have. He'll be bigger than anything that we can handle. Now, remember, he may not handle it or may not deal with it the way we think he should. We always have to remember that, that uh, but he's going to take us through whatever comes our way. The next time God calls Joshua to courage, he's going to give another dimension. Have a look at verses 7 and 8, because courage requires knowing the right thing to do. It's easy to go with the crowd. It's easy to do what your friends are telling you to do, but to stand up and say, well, no, I'm I'm going in a different direction, that's going to take some courage. If courage is the willingness and the readiness to do the right thing at the right time, then we need to know what the right thing to do is. And that's why God says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. You want to know the right thing to do? Have a look at the scriptures. You won't go wrong. That is where we get our standard of right and wrong. It's not coming from some... Uh, man-made idea, because if we don't use the scriptures, it all becomes subjective. Then we don't have an objective standard of right and wrong, and that's important that we have a standard we go to. Let's look a a minute here at some other aspects of courage and what goes with it. Joshua uh, uh, says that if there is one thing that sparks fear faster than anyone else, it is being alone. God told Joshua, I am with you. And when we're by ourselves, if you've ever had that feeling of being alone, uh, at, maybe at night when, when um, uh, in, the, in a storm, if you've gone like down on the Gulf Coast going through hurricanes and you're by yourself, if you've been a policeman or a soldier out on patrol and you're alone, or there's maybe just one or two, that fear can really build up. But in Psalm 139, we're told there, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. God's going to be there. God's going to be there. God knew that Joshua would feel pretty lonely as a leader. If you've ever been in management or leadership position, you know how lonely it can be 
when you've got to make decisions and maybe the people that you're leading don't really want to go along, but you've got to convince them to. And Joshua, uh, I'm sure, felt alone at times, just like Moses, I, I, I see feeling alone uh, a lot of the time. When we look at Ezra and Nehemiah, who will be coming along many years later, you see there some occasional stimulation of their courage, uh, and they found it sometimes in unlikely places. They're the ones who went back after, the, after cap, being gone in captivity, uh, went back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and kind of get the city back up again. Uh, Ezra 6.15, we see it there, and then in uh, Nehemiah as well, we see them going back and getting uh, the city rebuilt. And where did they get help? Well, Ezra actually got help from an unlikely source, one that we would probably not think of, and that is from a pagan king. He accepted a band of soldiers and some horsemen to, to help him. And remember, they also needed the king's permission to be able to go and do this. You know, the dangers of carrying uh, uh, traveling caravans back in the days with uh, bandits on the prowl, and they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have uh, the means of communication to call for help. So if you're out there on your own and bandits attack, you're stuck. you got to fight them off yourself if, if you're able to. So he got help uh, in that area from a, a pagan king, plus he had God working for him too. Ezra said in uh, chapter 8, verse 21, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river uh, Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God and to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all of our possessions for I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road, because we had spoken to the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon us all, those who for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. And Nehemiah's life was in danger because of his enemies, though his friends advised him to hide himself, but he refused. He refused to hide himself, and he uh, said he was going to stand up. He said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there uh, such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. He's, gonna, he's not going to run uh, when they're trying to get him to. Should I, such a man as I run? He knew and understood his position in the community. Running away would set a terrible example for others. And this is where leaders are going to feel the fear they're going to be afraid, but they've got, they can't show it. They've got to show courage in front of, of, their, of the, those that they're leading. And Nehemiah knew and revealed his heart here as a leader. Can you imagine what would have, it would have looked like if he ran instead of uh, staying there? And in those days, especially leaders, kings, people like that, they were expected to lead their troops into battle, which is why firefighters and police and military train and drill uh, at their respective uh, jobs, so that way they'll react automatic. They're doing what the body doesn't want to do. They're running towards the danger instead of away from it. Think of the Bible as our training manual for courage, and as we learn from it, we'll know the right thing to do at the right time. Look at uh, back again at uh, uh, verse nine. Have I uh, of uh, Joshua chapter one? Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. There's courage that we can find. There's courage that we can get there. In bad times, our relationship with God can make all the difference on how we conduct ourselves. If, as God's children, we want to know courage, we've got to strive and work for it and push ahead. 
So as we're looking at the world around us, it's coming apart. We can all seek peace. We can all seek courage in knowing that God is still on the throne. Even though it looks like things are out of control and there's chaos everywhere, God is still there. And I would encourage you, if you're not a Christian or if you're not sure about it, contact us through, uh, through email, through Facebook, social media. We'll help you out. We'll help you find someone who can lead you uh, in, the, uh, in the right way to become a Christian uh, or contact me through social media. Any one of us on the program will be glad to help you. We want to make sure that you are strong and of good courage and that you are right with the Lord. And if we can help you, we'll let, let us know. And I appreciate the opportunity to be here, Stevie, and uh, thank you for the time, and uh, we'll see you on uh, next month on my next appearance.
Is your congregation in need of lending for a building or expansion project? As your partner and advocate, Diversified Financial Network will take the time to understand your unique situation and develop a financing solution that meets your specific needs. It's an exciting time for your congregation, and what you need is a company with expertise in church financing early in the process. Call us today at 1-866-513-6665 or visit us at www.diversifiedfinancegroup.com. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the portion of the broadcast where I have a question from one of my uh, from my social media platform called Shout Out. I'm going to pose this question to my co-host. We also want to encourage our listeners to get involved in that uh, platform there on social media, Facebook, and get involved in that biblical discussion. Now, my co-host, uh, Clay Phillips, he serves with the Rose City Church of Christ there in thomasville georgia he'll be answering our question on the show this evening how you doing brother clay Chairman marvelous how you doing my friend i'm doing just fine now here's the question we have got a doozy here and this is from an anonymous queries from the state of virginia and the question is what is the significance of taking the lord's supper on the first day of the week what say you to this question Okay, thank you very much, Steve. I want to thank the individual that asked this particular question, a very good question. First of all, let me uh, thank God for the young man that spoke before us, and we want to ask God to continue to pray for uh, the church, uh, Brother Lawson Pass, and our condolence goes to the family. the question is, for me to answer today, is what is the significance of taking the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week? This is a very uh, good question, and I'm glad that it was asked. First of all, let me say this, that uh, this is one, this question is one of the five items, the Lord's Supper is one of the five items of worship or components of worship. What do mean by that, Brother Phillips, components of worship? It is that uh, you can find in the Bible. And there's some things that people are doing now in worship services that is not applicable, that is not, you cannot find it in the Bible. And they're doing things like praise, dancing, uh, and et cetera. But the question is is focusing on the Lord's Supper. Now, there are five items that, uh, components that you can find in the Bible. Number one, uh, let's use uh, the Lord's Supper first. Number two, preaching, giving, uh, prayer, and singing. These are things that the Bible, you can find predicated on the Word of God. And so uh, the question that is, Relating today is uh, about the first day of the week uh, while we uh, serve and why it's important upon the first of the week. Now, turn your Bibles now to Acts chapter 20. I want to read Acts chapter 20. Uh, Paul gives us a, a relevant uh, answer that we need to pay close attention to. I, I want to read Acts chapter 20, and then we'll turn over to 
First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, Acts chapter 20, verse 7, the Bible says, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on tomorrow, and continued speech unto midnight. So we notice now on the first day of the week, remember Christ died, uh, three days in the grave. The Bible talks about uh, Christ's death. Uh, he rose on Sunday, on the first day of the week. And now turn to First Corinthians chapter uh, 11, chapter 11, and verses 23. We find these words, For I received of the Lord that which also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which you was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do a remembrance of me. So here the apostle Paul is reminiscing about what uh, Jesus told the disciples to do, the twelve. And then in verse 25 it said, After the same manner, he also took cup. And when he had such saying, This cup is New Testament of my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it and remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord, ye do show forth the Lord's death. Till it comes. So, what is the responsibility of the? What is the significance of the blood, uh, the cup, and the bread? Is the bread represent the body of Christ, and the cup represent the blood of Christ? Then verse twenty-seven says, "Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat." of that bread and drink of this cup. But he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And this call, for this call, many are weak and sickly amongst you, and many asleep. Verse 31 says, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. So here we find uh, the uh, the Apostle Paul is telling us the significance. Now, when you look at the Lord's Supper, there are some homiletics that we're not going to be able to deal with, but let me give them to you. There's some homiletics uh, in dealing with the Lord's Supper. There are actually about four homiletics. Number one is the it is instituted of Christ. We're not going to be able to deal with that, not tonight. Uh, it is instituted of Christ, number Two, Roman number two, it is uh, uh, significant because it has three significant reasons. Number one, it is the commemoration of Christ. It is a proclamation of his authority and an examination of those that participate. And then number three, Roman three, it is the day, the day and the frequency of it. Now, this is what we're going to focus on, on tonight, the day and the frequency of the partaking. And then the homo, last homiletic uh, is the element to be used in the breaking of bread, and we're not going to be dealing with that. But what I want to look at, I want to focus on uh, the Roman number three, the day uh, and the frequency of it, because the question says, what is significant? What is the significance of taking the Lord's Supper upon the first day of the week? Uh, so we're going to focus on the day and the frequency of taking the Lord's Supper. Now, 
When you see a capital letter in your uh, reading in homiletics, uh, the, the capital letter gives us the target. So there are five targets that I want to bring to your attention on this evening. There are five targets. The first target is uh, capital A is uh, how regular and frequent should we participate in the Lord's Supper. Now, there's some taking it on first of the month. There's some taking it every quarter, and there's some taking it once a year, or there's some just taking it in special occasions. So we're going to look at uh, the, the, the how regularly and how frequent should we take it. And capital B, uh, the target is the example of choice. We're going to look at an example that uh, Dr. Luke wrote in Troyes uh, about the Apostle Paul. And the, the capital C is that it is not just, listen now, it is not just uh, any other time that you can just take it when you want to. It is not a, a feel-good taking. And then uh, capital D, where, you know where the Lord's Supper is to be observed. Where is the Lord's Supper to be observed? Then capital E, the, the target is, uh, it is not, understand, it is not a common meal. Now, we're focusing on the homiletic, uh, Roman number three, because I'm not going to be able to deal with all of that, but we're looking at some targets. Now, let me, let, let's, let's look at the introduction here. The, the Apostle Paul, there, there are five things, four things you need to write down. Number one, the Apostle Paul instruct the church. <laughs> In other words, we need to understand that uh, the question is uh, equated, equated with the church. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, 23, notice what he says now. He, notice what he, he says to the church at Corinth, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. So we're looking here, uh, at, and in the introduction, here we find is that this is the turning uh, point of the Bible here. Paul instructs the church. He says two things here. Receive from the Lord. I received it from the Lord. Number two, that was important to take the Lord's Supper because he received it from the Lord. Then God had commanded him to deliver it whoo, unto the church. He received it from the Lord, and he, God wanted him to deliver it unto the church. So here Paul instructs the church, and then we look at uh, the second panel introduction, who was to hold this uh, instructions? Uh, the church was to, was to hold the instructions of the apostle. There are three things about holding the instructions of the apostle. Number one, traditional. Number two, in the teaching. And number three, uh, as a comfort or a comforter. Wait, what do you mean, Brother Philip? In 1 Corinthians, now let's back up chapter 11. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, if you back up to verse number 1, 
And verse number two, look what the Bible says. Now, this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He says, be ye followers of me, even as I am also am Christ, or of Christ. Paul said, you follow me, because why? I'm following Christ. Notice in verse number two. Now, I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the audiences as I deliver them to you. So it is our responsibility to receive the apostolic teaching of the apostles. So here it says in teaching. Now turn to Second uh, Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul is writing also. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and the verse is 15. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and the verse is number 15. Note the Bible says, Paul said to the church at Thessalonica. He says, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the tradition which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. So Paul says here, listen, whatever I'm giving you, you need to follow the price. This is significant. You need to follow the price. Now, the word epistle comes from the Greek word knowledge. So when you see the word epistle, it is uh, epistemology, which is knowledge. It is a knowledge that you receive from men of God that was possessed with the power of God on the day of Pentecost. And when those on the day of Pentecost touched those that uh, they touched, they had the power, but they couldn't pass it on to others. Now, understand this. That's why Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto God a workman needed not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. So here, only the apostles had the power, and the ones that had the power that he touched to heal and to make those things uh, miraculous. But now we live in the age of obedience. <laughs> uh, let the Bible speak, Brother Philip. Now, because you remember that John 14, let, let, me, let me show it to you. John 14 and verse 23. Turn the Bible now to John chapter 14 and the verse is 23. John 14. And the verse is number 23. And we find these words uh, uh, written, John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said unto them, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Notice in verse 24. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which he hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me. Jesus, now you understand now, this is the word of God. My Father told me to tell you this. These things have I spoken unto you, beings yet in your presence. But notice in verse number 26. You know, talking to the apostles, he says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father shall send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I said unto you. So whatever Jesus said unto them. So now when you read in First Corinthians chapter 11, hello, when you go to First Corinthians chapter 11, the apostle Paul is saying, listen, I want you to understand something here now. I want you, verse 23, 
Again, look at it and says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. That's what Jesus, he took bread with the apostles, with the twelve. And so here we find, if you will, that the apostles, that the apostles was, had the miraculous power. Christ had uh, the unimaginable power. It was without measure. Christ had the Holy Ghost without measure. The apostles had it with measure. We have the indwelling measure, according to Romans chapter 8. So here we understand the significance. Now, let's, understand, let's get a grip here. The apostles taught that the Lord's Supper was to be observed. Now, the question is, now here's the answer to the question. Let me look at the question. How often is uh, we to take and participate in the Lord's Supper? So we go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Now, there are those that say, but the Bible does not say uh, how often should we take the Lord's Supper, but it gives us common sense to understand, it tell us uh, systematically. There's a thing called systematic theology. In other words, that they expect you to understand that. There's something that God expects you to understand. So when you read Genesis, uh, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It expects you to understand not the question that there is a God or not. You should know that there is a God. So when you read Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. You shouldn't be saying, well, if there's a God, they expect it called systematic theology. You should understand and respect that there is a God. They had, in other words, they didn't have any uh, drawback for people to understand that there is a God because everybody, not everybody, every, everybody <laughs> knew that there was a God. It's only now because of bigot and hatred and prejudice because people trying to create some kind of we are not. Uh, 100% man that they can keep others wrong because the Lord's Supper is a participation in all generations. That's why in, in, in Acts chapter 2. Okay, okay. Help us out, Brother Philip. Now, so how, the, how, how do we take the Lord's Supper? It says in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, and upon the first day of the week, and upon the first day of the week, let me ask you a question. Does every week have a first day? Yes. If every week have a first day, we ought to participate in the communion every week. If every week, so upon the first day of the week, they know, well, let's do a quarterly. It's not for you to argue about quarterly. It says upon the first day of the week. Now, you find a week without a first day, then you don't have to participate. Hello? Upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break the, when they come together, upon the first day of the week. If there's not a first day of the week, then you don't have to worry about it. But that week, <laughs> every week have a first day. And that's why they take in the Lord's Supper. It was practice. Uh, it, it was part of the worship, uh, edification. Look at look at um, look at um, uh, First Corinthians chapter fourteen. Turn to First Corinthians chapter fourteen. Uh, man, this this thing uh, getting gonna get deep right here. First Corinthians chapter fourteen and the verse 
is 23. 1 Corinthians 14 and 23. And we find these words written. Now, this is, this is edification. The Bible teaches about edification. If, therefore, the whole church be come together into one place. So the whole church come together in one place and all speak with tongues. So now giving uh, the childhood stage of the church. Because you notice now in First Corinthians chapter 13, it talked about uh, the childhood state of the church. Because in First Corinthians 13, if you back up, it says, though I speak with tongues of men and have angels in uh, sign and brass, it says, uh, and, and have all gifts and have not love, it profit me nothing. Why is he talking about that? Because you back up 31 of chapter uh, 12, it says, but covet earnestly the best gifts. So I'm going to show you the best gift, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. So showing us a more excellent way. What is the more excellent way? Love. Then it get down to verse number uh, uh, eight. I'm going to save the time. Verse eight. It says, "Shadows never faileth, but whether there be prophecy, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall uh, vanish away." Notice what it says in now. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. So. So prophecy had its part, and when that which is came in love, which is Christ, when Christ came and died, and then when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part is done away. How you know that? What it says? It says, "For we know in part, and we prophesy in part." But when that which is perfect has come, to by the word of God, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I speak as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. What is childish things? Those things that he says, and God is saying, listen, prophecy, speaking in tongues, uh, healing, all that stuff was childish to God because God wants us to walk by faith. It's not by sight. <laughs> the whole concept of the New Testament is to walk by faith. So then he says, don't uh, verse number 12. So now we see through a glass, Darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, now I know in part, I know something had its part, but then that shall I know even as I'm known. But notice in verse number 13. And now about it, now about it, now about it, faith, hope, and charity. These three, and the greatest of these is love. So when you get over to first, uh, chapter 14, <laughs> and verse 23, Oh, y'all, y'all follow me. You follow me. It says in verse number 23, if therefore the whole church be come together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those, notice not those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? Hello? But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believe not, or one unbelieving, or unlearned, is he convinced of all? He judges all things. Notice verse 25. And thus are the secret of the heart made manifest, so falleth down to his face. He, notice what he will worship God and report that God is the truth in verse number 26 says, how is it then, brethren, when you come together? 
Every one of you have a charm, have a doctrine, have a tongue, have a revelation, have an in, notice, have an interpretation. Let all things be done decently in order. So he's talking about organizing the church. The church must be organized. And so here, when you go through the uh, the, the pages, understand that the Bible was not written in book, chapter, and verse. So when you look at the correction of the church, the church was a celebration. Notice now, notice now in 1 Corinthians, then you turn to chapter 16. Now, let me show you chapter 16. Good God Almighty. Oh, look at here. Let me see what the time is. Okay, chapter 16. Notice now, notice now in chapter 16. Chapter 16, let us know that all the, every church understood what I'm talking about now. Notice now in chapter 16, verse 3 and verse Verse 1, 2, and 3. Verse 1, 2, and 3. Now, so all I'm doing is going through it chronologically. I'm showing you uh, why it was so significant and important that the whole church understood. Because the church started at a childhood stage in Acts chapter 2. And then it went on and on and on. And now in Corinthians, now it's developing. Because we're going to learn, Paul had to straighten out some stuff about the Lord's Supper. Okay, there had some issues going on about the Lord's Supper. So now here uh, in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, notice what the Bible says. Now concerning the collection. Now, now understand, that remember I told you the five items or components of worship, the Lord's Supper, preaching, giving, praying, and singing. Now, look at... <laughs> The, the item of collection. When did they take up the collection? The collection, communion, giving, prayer, Lord's Supper, all over the same time. <laughs> when did they take up the collection? Now remember Acts chapter 7 says, upon the first day of the week, the disciples came together to break bread. They had a systematic theology. Now notice now, it's still systematic right here. Verse number 1 says, now concerning the collection. Of the saints, as I give an order to the church at Galatia, so do ye. In other words, the same way you have a participate in the in the communion is the same way you participate in the collection. Hello. So what is that, then, Brother Phillips? Let's read it further. Verse two says, "Upon the first day of the week." Woo! So the collection was taken on the first day of the week. Why? Because they all came together. They all came together on the first day of the week. <laughs> now, I, I want to deal with a, a little bit more in detail, but let me, I got to wrap it up because I was about a minutes here. Let me show you that Paul had to even address some issues and some problems that was going on in the church. Turn, now, turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, let's let's look at some things here. Let's back up now to chapter in chapter eleven. Now you remember we read in verse twenty three, for I received of the Lord. So Paul is actually correcting the church about an issue that they had. How you know? Let's back up to verse seventeen. And verse seventeen says, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not that you come together. In other words, they was coming to worship on the first day of the week. Because you read on and tell you they came together the first of the week. He says, not for the better, but for the worse. He says, he says the more you all come together, the worse you're getting. 
<laughs> Why? Because here is a new order, a new system, a new testament. And they got time to talk about the newness of the church. Woo! So here's the newness here. And so they have some issues. Notice what it not in verse number 18. It says, so first of all, when you come together, talking about worship. They were having some issues in worship. My God, they were doing some stuff that they shouldn't have been doing. Even today, that's what's wrong with the church now. Because the church don't understand there's a systematic theology. God had, t- everything had its purpose. Healing had its purpose. There are, there are three dispensations. And all of them start with miraculous power. It ended up with faith in in the uh, in the physical, in the faith, in the patriarchal age, God created man, didn't he? From the dirt and created woman from the real. But that had its part. But now God does not create man from the dirt and the, the woman from the real. We have organs that God has given us that we have children now what we call nature of God, or the nature of man. In the Mosaic age, it started out with miracles and miraculous power, the Red Sea opened up, and the, and the frogs and the lions, and, and the light from heaven, and then when they got to the promised land, they, had, they ended up in fight, and then that's why they couldn't go in. Then when the new church started, when the church started, it started out with miraculous power, healing. Apostles had 70, Jesus had 70. They came back to man, the spirits obeying us. Jesus said, man, come now. I've seen the devil fall from heaven. That's systematic theology. He said, you know, it's not going to always be like that. You remember when, uh, uh, because Thomas died, Thomas was talking to him. We didn't want to know. Thomas said, I put my hand in him. And Jesus said, let me tell you all. You don't believe because you see. But they come, and I want everybody to believe because they have faith. That's why Romans said we walk by faith, not by sight. Woo! Come on, somebody. Now, here, the Apostle Paul is saying the church came together for the first, for first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there is division amongst you, and I probably believe it. For there must be also heresy amongst you that they which are approved may be made manifest amongst you. Then what was the issue? Let's look at the issue. When you come together, therefore, into one place, there is, the number says, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. In other words, they really know how to eat the Lord's Supper. Man and boy had ham, hog, chicken, rice. No, no, no. I'm just saying what we be eating today. Cornbread and rice and baked beans. Them boys were throwing up because they, they had a misconception about the Lord's Supper. What to eat. In verse number 21 says, he says, for in eating, every man, everyone, take before others his own supper. And one hungry and one another drunk. But they were, they were, they were, they were partaking. What have ye not houses to eat in or to drink in? Or despising the church of God and shame them that have not what shall I say unto you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Then he tells them, listen, for I have received of the Lord. That's when he come in with and telling them what it's all about. 
Now, I'm saying this. Let me, let me, let me say this. Because I got to stop. Okay? I'm saying this. He said, I, let me straighten you out about something. Now, now, now look, turn to, now drop down to verse number, uh, drop down to verse number 33 of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says in verse number 33, wherefore, my brethren, when you come together, come on, worship, to eat, he says, carry one for another. And if any man be hungry, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. In other words, there's another thing I'm going to set in order uh, you know, about the Lord's Supper. Now, let me say this here. There are a lot of churches, even by the Christ, uh, believe that you cannot have a fellowship hall at the church building. No, no, no. Paul is not teaching that you cannot have a fellowship hall. What he's teaching, there must be a distinction between the Lord's Supper and eating a meal. And I got got to show you this before I I quit. There must be the significance of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week is to show Jesus Christ came up on the first day of the week. We We are not... We are not, uh, uh, Jesus is our rest. You remember the ark rests on the mount? That's the same rest that the first day of the week does. Uh, that, that's the same rest. So now here, what, what is the distinction here? The distinction of the Lord's Supper. Turn now to Acts chapter 2. Let's go, let's go back to Acts chapter 2. Uh, Acts chapter 2, and let me show you the distinction that the apostles was making is not telling us that we cannot have a fellowship hall. Because you remember now, if you look at the, the text, it says, wait, tarry. The word tarry means to wait. In other words, they, they had so many people there, uh, and before you start the Lord's Supper, let everybody get there because they had to wait. Now, if you get hungry, he's saying you, you eat at home before you come. Woo! Because he's not telling you that you cannot have a fellowship hall at the church building because the building is not the church. The word church comes from the Greek word ecclesia. Okay, okay, okay. Hear, hear up, clearly. Hear up, clearly. Acts chapter 2, verse, uh, look at the distinction of the Lord's Supper. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts 2, 42. And the Bible says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. Now, this Breaking of bread is the Lord's Supper. But in that same, on that same day, <laughs> let's look at, let's look at, uh, on that same day, good God Almighty, let's look now at verse uh, 40, 46, the same day, verse 46, good God Almighty. It says, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread, from house to house, did eat meat with gladness and singing to the In other words, they wouldn't eat the confusion. You churches listen. Quit fussing about having a, a fellowship hall at the church building. Because at the same day, now in, in verse in verse 42, it made a distinction between the communion. And the Lord's Supper. And in verse 46, it tells you that in that same day they were eating and drinking at the same day of the temple of God. 
Let, let me show you. Let me, let, let, me, let me show you another one. Turn to Acts chapter twenty, and I got to stop. Acts chapter twenty. Acts chapter twenty, and verse number seven. And I'm gonna show you another distinction. Acts twenty, and number seven. Oh my goodness, let, brother Philip, let the Bible speak. Now, now this is something you need to go study if you don't know. Acts chapter twenty, and the verse is number seven. Acts twenty and seven, and we find these words written. Now here is the Lord's Supper, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them. Ready to depart on tomorrow and continue his speech at the midnight. You know, when somebody died and Mozart fell asleep in, his, in the search service. But drop down to verse number 11. Drop down to verse number 11. It's going to give us the distinction here. It says, when, when he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talking a long while, even till the break of day, so he, so this, this breaking of bread was a meal. So they had broke bread earlier, but then after the boy died and all that stuff, and then they started fellowshipping because the boy, God saved his life. Christ, I mean, they, uh, Paul brought him back to life. The boy fell asleep. A good thing for y'all to fall asleep in the service. I'm your speaker, Brother Clay Phillips. Remember this. Keep it real. Shout it out question. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. I know.
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, my co-host, Brian Christian Coleman, and his subject, When Worship is Out of Order. Good evening, brothers and sisters of the Churches of Christ throughout this land and country. It is definitely an honor and a privilege to be here this evening, even though I am still dealing with bereavement at this time. It is still good to be amongst you tonight. As many of you probably are aware, uh, this past Saturday, we lost a great hard-fighting soldier in Dr. Eugene Lawton, minister of the Newark Church of Christ, for over 58 years. I've had the pleasure of working with Dr. Lawton for over 38 years, and I definitely have enjoyed the work with him. I will definitely miss my father of the gospel. I do ask that you all may please keep the Newark Church of Christ in prayer at this time as we deal with this loss. Ask that you may please keep us in prayer. Please bless our leadership. Please bless every one of us, Father. And also ask that you may please keep me in prayer as well at this time because it was very hard for me uh, this past Saturday when he passed away. I was right there with him. Actually, I was holding him when he did pass away. So it was really difficult, a difficult time this week, but God is still able. And tonight to commemorate the time that I've had with Dr. Lawton, I would like to use one of his one of his own sermons. But naturally, I'll be putting a twist on it, which makes it my own sermon. Uh, as Brother Stevie uh, Butler announced, but we're going to come from the Book of John, Chapter Four. And I'd like to begin with verse number 22 to verse 26, and then we'll go into our lesson. John chapter 4, verse number 22 to verse number 26. And the Bible reads, Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. My subject for this evening, which was already announced by our brother Butler is when worship is out of order. When worship is out of order. As we move through this world, we need to remember that we live in a world that has become very complicated. We see the moral living is being replaced by immoral values. What used to be considered wrong is now considered right. And what is right is being considered wrong. Even in our homes, values have changed. In our homes, things ran a specific kind of way at one time. Parents used to run the home. Say amen if you can. If you acted up at home, 
or even in the church house. My, I can tell you from when I was growing up, my mother used to give me a look. And you know what, brothers and sisters, there was something in that look. That look used to mean, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to mess you up. Hello? And our parents made sure that you sat, you sat up there in the worship service like you had some sense. Hello? When my father came into the living room, I came by to tell you that business picked up. Hello? When he came into the room, whatever you were watching, you turned that, ch- that channel, the Channel 2 News, with Jim Jensen as the anchor, and you sat there and watched the news. But today, you look at, look at your child, and they look back at you, saying, what are you looking at? You used to give your child a beating for something they did. And now they say to you, I know my right, and if you, if you touch me again, I'm going to call the police and have you locked up. Lord, have mercy. You ask them to take out the garbage, wash the dishes, clean up your room, do your homework, or anything else that a child will cause a fit and tell you in your face, I'm not going to do it. We need to go back to the way it used to be. And it hurts me when I hear, when I hear our up-and-coming parents saying, I'm not going to raise my children like my mother and father raised me. I don't know, you don't know it, but you are bringing up a future Dennis to Menace in your own home. The Bible teaches us in Proverbs 22 and verse number 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Even in religion, we are seeing trends in the church that have changed over the years. Some of the stuff that the Church of Christ preachers used to preach against, today our preachers are practicing in their congregations today. They are beginning to teach, calling the minister pastor, allowing women preachers, having praise teams, replacing singing in the worship service, substituting traditional worship services and replacing them with skits and plays having Easter and Christmas worship services, changing the name of the congregation to something like Hope Church of Christ, New Horizons Church of Christ, Bold Believers Church of Christ, New Life Church of Christ, and many others. I tell you, we got, we got some change agents in the church. There used to be a time when we told the sinner what they needed to do to be saved. But today, if you go to some congregations, they don't give you the plan of salvation. And you have to and if you have some churches of Christ that have low attendance, they have opened the doors of the church to denominational churches with low attendance and consider them Christians. They don't rebaptize them or try to teach them the right way. They just allow them to come on into the church and be a part of the church. And they have all this baggage of denominational teaching when they come into the church. My brothers and sisters, 
Don't be surprised by all of this because the Bible warns us of these things. The Bible says in Acts 20, verses 28 to 30, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock, which the Holy Ghost have made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Also, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. I'm glad the Bible says some shall depart because I stand, I'm going to be a standing member of the church of Christ to the day I die. And it goes on to say, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. And let me drop this bomb while I'm flying over this, this evening. When a church does not follow the doctrines that were set down by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and refuses to follow the apostles' doctrine, their worship is out of order. When you stop preaching book, chapter, and verse and begin preaching thoughts, fables, and false doctrine, your worship is out of order. My first point is, Worship is out of order when you follow the doctrines and commandments of man. We see that there are over 300 denominations in the United States of America. There are over 3,000 different denominations in the world, and each of them are teaching the doctrines and commandments of man. The Bible says in Matthew 15 and 9, but in vain do they worship me teaching for doctrines, the commandments of man. When Jesus is telling us what you are, when, you, when you are worshiping me in vain, it means your worship is no good. You are wasting your time. It is not acceptable to me because you are teaching the doctrines and commandments of man. You have some of them have different names, Baptist, Catholic, Church of God in Christ, Methodist, Lutheran, Episcopalian, Seventh-day Adventist, etc. The Bible teaches us in Matthew 16 and 18 that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The Bible says in Romans 16 and 16, salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. And each of these denominations needs a creed book for their churches. Some of them are the Catholics have a Catholic catechism. The Baptists have a Baptist manual. The Episcopalian has a book of common prayer. The Methodists have a Methodist discipline. The Jehovah's Witness, a new international Bible. But in the Church of Christ, we have the Bible and nothing else, and we don't need any creed book. 
The Bible makes Christians and Christians only. The Bible says in Acts 11 and verse 26, and they were called Christians first in Antioch. Acts chapter 26 and verse number 28. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And in 1 Peter 4, 16, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. You'll never find in the Bible describing an individual as a Baptist Christian, Catholic Christian, Methodist Christian, Jehovah Witness Christian, or even a Catholic Christian. But you will find in the Bible that the Bible makes a Christian, and a Christian is all the Bible will make. No prefixes, no suffix, no suffixes, and no asphysics. And they have different teachings regarding taking the communion. Some take it, like the Baptists, once a month. The Catholics take it every day. Methodists take it on a quarterly basis. The Jehovah's Witness takes it once a year. And others take it neverly. But the Bible church takes it on Sunday. The Bible says in Acts 20 and 7, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on tomorrow, and continued his speech unto midnight. And it is strange, little sidebar here, it is strange that preachers in town understand that the money is to be taken up every Sunday. No doubt about that. That money is going to be taken up every Sunday. But the same phraseology about the collection should be the same phraseology about the communion. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given under the order to the churches in Galatia, even so do ye upon the first day of the week. Let every one of you lay in store as God has prospered him, that there be no gathering when I come. These churches even have different ways in baptism. Some sprinkle water on you. Some pour water on you. And some bury you as an, indiv- uh, uh, as an individual like the Baptist church. But the Baptist church is not baptized for the remission of sin, but is an outward sign of inward grace to show that the world what the Lord has done for you. And that comes from their own Baptist manual. Some people like Joel Austin have you recite the sinner's prayer. Some like T.D. Jenks tells you, you don't need any baptism, but believe on the Lord. But the Bible gives us different examples of baptism. He first mentioned, the Bible first mentions that on Pentecost, the 3,000 that were saved, you see that in Acts chapter 22, 2.22, Acts 2, 36 to 47. The Ethiopian unit, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. The apostle Paul, when he was Saul, was converted. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 20. And Acts chapter 22, verses 6 to 16. Cornelius in his household, the first Gentiles to enter the church of Christ. Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. Lydia and her household, Acts chapter 16, verses 13 to 15. The Philippian jailer, Acts 
chapter 16, verses 23 to 34, and the Corinthians, Acts chapter 18, verse number 8. All these examples show that in order to be baptized, water is in the plan. And you must have water in order to be baptized. Acts chapter 8, verse 36. Much water. John chapter 3, verse number 23. You must go down into the water. Acts chapter 8 and verse number 36. Uh, Going down in the water. Acts chapter 8, verse 38. Both the baptizer and one being baptized go down in the water. Acts chapter 8. 38 and 39. Baptism is a burial, Romans chapter 6 and verse number 4. It is a resurrection, Colossians 2 and 12. It is a new birth, John chapter 3 and verse number 5. The body is washed, Hebrews 10, verse 22. It is a coming out of the water, Acts 8, verse 39, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16. I just showed you that if you follow the doctrines and commandments of man, you're not following what the Bible teaches us. Then your worship is out of order. My second point, worship is out of order when you use mechanical instruments of music in the worship service. I think I need to say that again. Let me sound my trumpet this evening. Worship is out of order when you use the mechanical instruments of mechanical instruments of music and the worship service, if you go into any denomination, I'm sure you'll find mechanical instruments of music in that church. You will normally find an organ, some drums, guitar, piano. If you look real closely, you'll find a saxophone in there in some of them. And you know, These churches will play all different types of music that fits your likes and desires. If you like it jazzy, there are some churches that play it just like like you're listening to jazz. You want it kind of bluesy, there are some churches like that. You want something with a little hip-hop, there are some like that. Whatever you want in your music, you can find it. But the important thing is that when you utilize mechanical instruments of music, And the worship service, it makes it out of order. Say amen when you can. I remember when I met a visitor that visited the Newark Church of Christ some years ago. And she said to me, you know, if you had some drums, an organ, or even a piano, it would make your service more appealing. You have some people in the world that put down the Church of Christ for not having instrumental music. Even members of your own family have said when you come and see them in a family reunion or gathering, they will say, you go to that church that does not have instrumental music. I was even told once, if you get some instruments, it's going to improve your music. And I was even told, reason why we don't have it in the church, we can't afford it. Have y'all heard that? They said the church can't afford any instrumental music. I mean, They say at least they can have a tambourine, but I stopped by to tell you, we can get it. We can get it on the installment plan. And the late brother R.N. Hogan said the installment plan is when you pay a dollar down and stall around for the rest of the time. We can get it. Just we get like anything else on the installment plan. 
but we don't do it because it's not according to truth. And the Bible teaches us also in reference to using the fruits of our lips. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, verse 15, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to the God to God continually, that is, the fruits of our lips, giving thanks in his name. We don't need a piano, drum, or any type of instrumental music for the worship service because God teaches us to sing. Ephesians 5, 19, speaking unto yourselves in songs and hymns, and spiritual songs, thinking and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And you got some churches of Christ that are using instrumental music. But I say that their worship service is out of order. And you know that some denominations that are in existence today, you know they've not always had instrumental music. The Catholic Church has not always had instrumental music. In 606 A.D., the Catholic Church was founded. And later on, in 660 A.D., they first introduced instrumental music in the churches in Eastern Europe. And you know what? It raised so much trouble in the Catholic Church, they had to take it out. And you know what? It stayed out for hundreds of years. It was reintroduced in 1064. And when it was introduced in 1064, it split the Catholic Church wide open. That's known in religious history as the Great Schism. You had the Roman Catholic Church going one way with mechanical instruments of music, and the Greek Orthodox Catholic Church go the other way without instrumental music. And even to this very day, the Greek Catholic Orthodox Catholic Church does not use instrumental music. The Methodist Church, has not always used instrumental music. As long as their founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley, was alive, the Methodist Church never had mechanical instruments of music. And someone asked John Wesley, why is it that you don't have an organ in your chapel? And John Wesley said, I have no objection to the organ being in our chapel, provided it is neither seen nor heard. And I say amen to John Wesley. But after John Wesley died in 1791, the Methodist Church began to use mechanical instruments of music. The Lutheran Church has not always had instrumental music. As long as their founder, Martin Luther, was alive, the Lutheran Church never used mechanical instruments of music. When asked why he did not use mechanical instruments of music, Martin Luther said, the organ in the worship is the insignia of Baal. And what is Baal? Baal is a false god. But after Martin Luther died in 1546, the Lutheran church began to use mechanical instruments of music. Church, 
Whenever you visit a church that is utilizing mechanical instruments of music, their worship is out of order. My last point, worship is out of order when a woman preaches. I think I need to say that again and put down the rewind. Rip, 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 rip. Worship is out of order when a woman preaches. Now, you know, someone may sit there and say, Brother Coleman, everything that you said earlier is right. And I'm going to back you up. You are right. But, brother, don't you know what age that you live in? Don't you know this is the age of women liberation? Don't you know this is the age of ERA? And you've had women that have now become police chiefs, fire chiefs, mayors, doctors, lawyers, council members, and even judges. You've seen the woman by the name of Shirley Chisholm become the very first African-American woman elected to the United States Congress in 1968. You saw back in 1992 when Janet Reno, was appointed Attorney General by then-President Bill Clinton. We saw Condoleezza Wright become National Security Advisor and Secretary of State under President George W. Bush. We've seen Hillary Rodham Clinton become Secretary of State under President Obama. And even we've got a woman Vice President of the United States under President Joe Biden. You got to be careful what you're doing, preacher. You're about to make a mistake. I know what age I'm living in, but I also know what this book says. And the Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians 14, 34, and 35, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience. As also saith the law, if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church. The Bible says also in 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. But let me bring up something else, and I'm about to take my seat here in a second. I shared these scriptures with, with one person in my office some years ago, and she tried to say that women preachers have been around since the Jews. And also, there were women there at Pentecost, and women were authorized to preach at that time. Now, the first thing you need to understand you need to go and understand in, back in the book of Exodus, chapter 23, verses 14 and 17, there were three times when the Jewish men were to come together. That was Pentecost, the Passover, and the Feast of the Tabernacles. That was the only time that they were to come together. Now, you may say, well, what about Pentecost? Well, let's find out about Pentecost. And I want y'all to follow me because the Bible is right. 
turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 and meet me around verse number 5. Okay, Acts chapter 2 and verse number 5. Let's go down to find out where women there on Pentecost. Y'all got a little time for this? Let's go to the Bible. And the Bible says, and they were dwelling in Jerusalem, verse 5, at Jerusalem, devout men. Okay, she's not there. Let's go to verse number 6. The Bible says, now when this was this noise abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man, uh, what was that again? Every man. She's not there in verse number 6. Drop down to verse number 8. And how we hear every man. Okay, she's not in verse 8. Drop down to verse number 13. The Bible says, others mocking said, these men. What? These men. Okay, she's not there in verse 13. You got to go to 14. But Peter, standing up with the 11, lifted up his voice and said unto them, ye men. What? Ye men of Judea. And all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be known this unto you, and hearken my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, there because it is the third hour of the day. Let me just pause and let you know, they were mocking the apostles, thinking they were full of new wine. And Peter had to let them know the liquor store wasn't even open. It was 9 o'clock in the morning, and the liquor store was not even open. Back to my point. Drop on down to verse number 22. The Bible says, Ye men. Say what? Did it says woman? No. It said ye men of Israel. She's not in 22. Drop down to verse number 29. Men and brethren. Hello? Men and brethren. Women weren't there. Okay, we got one more verse. Verse number 37. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren. Hello? Men and brethren. Women were not there on the day of Pentecost. And if a woman gets up and tries to preach, she is out of order. So the question on the floor is, now that you know that women are not allowed to preach, it is out of order. I've said a lot here tonight, and if there's any visitors tonight listening, you may ask, Brother Coleman, you have said some great things. What do I have to do in order to become a Christian? I'm so glad you asked that question. We got the answer in the Bible. Not philosophy, not opinion, not my ideas, but it's coming from the Bible. You must first hear the gospel. Romans 10:17. For faith coming by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Then you must believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, John 8 and 24. Except you believe I am he. You will die in your sins. He said, if you die in your sins, where I am, you cannot come. You must then repent of your sins. Luke 13, 3 and 5, the Bible says, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Then you must confess with your mouth the sweetest words that you will ever say, that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Acts 8, verse 37. And then you you go down to the liquid tomb of baptism. For the remission of your sins, Acts 2.38 Wherein baptism washes away your sins, Acts 22.16 You become a new creature, John 3 and verse number 5 You become a child of God, Galatians 3.26 and 27 And God will add you to the church of Christ, Acts 2 and verse number 47 
I don't know what's on your heart tonight, and if we have anyone tonight also who is a member of the Church of Christ, but you have not been living right. You have not been going where you need to go. You've been sick, you've been slipping and sliding, ducking and hiding. It's time now to stand up and be accounted for. It's time for you to say, I need to rededicate my life back to God. You need prayer, whatever it may be, you have that opportunity. And again, I thank all of you for your attention to this evening's subject. I ask that you may please keep the Newark Church of Christ in prayer. The funeral services and the and a memorial service are being planned right now. That information has been given to Brother Butler, and I'm sure he will share it with all of you this evening and next week as well. May God bless all of you and keep you, and thank you for listening. No, no. If it was my grandma's touch on my grandma's mind, you knew me a little better in my grandma's time. But I sure wish I could go back to those days and times. Now, 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 I don't know if it was my grandma's touch on my grandma's mind. You knew maybe because I was looking through a little boy's eyes. But I sure thought things were better than they seem to be now. How in the world, how long, again I'd like to see love, respect, and dignity in our society, as the whole world gone crazy, things of the past, like youthful innocence. If only my eyes could see Things that my young heart believed Now we see too much When we're much too young Twelve years old And you want to be full grown That will make my grandma's Grandma's touch Grandma's mind You know me In my grandma's time But I sure wish I could go back
listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for tuning into our broadcast this evening. It is our prayer that the lessons that were taught on this radio program have been beneficial to your spiritual lives and that your relationship with the Lord has been strengthened because you're not only tuning into this radio broadcast, but you've given yourself over to a study of God's I want to thank both of my co-hosts, Steve Cordo and Brian Christian Coleman, for their lessons on tonight's broadcast. We certainly appreciate their efforts. We always appreciate our co-hosts' tireless efforts of their proclamation of the gospel of Christ. We don't take any of this for granted. We want to keep the Newark Family Church of Christ in our prayers as they mourn the passing of our dear brother, Eugene Lawson. And ladies and gentlemen, please continue to keep this radio broadcast in your prayers as well. I'm your host, Steve R. Butler. I want to say on behalf of all of my co-hosts here on the Gospel Light Radio Show, we really do appreciate your love and support for these radio programs. Good night, everybody. God bless you. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Thinking about what you've done for me in my life I just want to say what you really mean to me You're my everything, my joy and peace You're the reason why I sing Lord, I don't deserve anything you've given me So I just gotta say thank you Whoa. For tonight, with your love and grace So I just gotta tell you this mm-hmm. I will always
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You've been listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show, episode 260. I know, Lord, you'll take care, take care of me. Oh, yeah, yes, he will.
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.